Hello and welcome to the IIF Global Regulatory Update podcast. I'm Katie Rismanchi, a Senior Policy Advisor in the Regulatory Affairs Department at the Institute of International Finance in Washington, D.C. For this episode, I am delighted to be joined by Hitoshi Mio, the Head of Financial System Research Division at the Bank of Japan, and Takahiro Iwamoto, my colleague and a fellow policy advisor at the IIF. In this podcast, we're going to discuss the Bank of Japan's most recent financial system report, published on April 20th. The FSR report discusses several important conjunctural and structural topics affecting the Japanese and global banking system, including the impact of COVID-19, risks emerging outside of the banking system, and structural changes in the financial services sector from non-financial risks, digital transformation, and interest rate benchmark reform. Hi, Hitoshi. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Perhaps you can start by saying a few words about yourself and your role within the Bank of Japan and giving us a high-level summary of the key themes in the April Financial Stability Report. Yeah. Hello, Katie. Hello, Taka-san. And hello, everyone. Thank you for having me today. I am Hitoshi Mio from the Bank of Japan. I currently lead the division responsible for the bank's macroprudential assessment of Japan's financial system. The report this round provides a detailed analysis of domestic credit risk and securities investment risk, and then uses macro stress testing to examine the robustness of Japan's financial system. On the domestic credit risk, the report concludes that the overall negative impact of the COVID shock to the credit worldliness of non-financial corporates, NFCs, is likely to be contained if the economy recovers in line with the consensus of forecasters. That said, the report concludes calls attention to the possibility of growing heterogeneity in SME's probability of default across industries and firms going forward, since some sectors and firms are hit by more severe shocks than others. On the securities investment risk, the report examines how the growing presence of non-bank financial intermediaries in the global financial system changes the risk profiles of Japanese financial institutions. Japanese financial institutions have been actively taking on securities investment risk by, for example, increasing their investment trust holdings in the prolonged low interest rate environment. On the other hand, foreign investment funds, some of which prefer to hold relatively illiquid assets, have also become active in global financial markets. As a result, Japanese financial institutions have become more exposed to the fire sale risk of foreign investment funds. Picking up from your remarks just now, Hitoshi-san, the COVID-19 pandemic has had an unprecedented impact on the global economy. What is your assessment of the impact in Japan? How do you think the strong position in which the financial system entered the COVID crisis has helped it to withstand it and support the economy so far? Although the magnitude of the shock has certainly been enormous, default rates and the numbers of bankruptcies of NFCs have remained at surprisingly low levels. In stark contrast, with what we saw in the 2008 Global Financial Crisis, GFC. We think three factors are particularly important in this. First, banks have been in a strong capital and liquidity position thanks to the strengthened regulation implemented after the GFC. Second, NFCs have also continued to improve their capital and liquidity, which has enhanced their resilience. And third, various measures to support corporate financing have had a substantial impact in supporting NFCs. It's great to hear that banks, non-financial corporates, and support majors from governments all contributed in supporting the economy. 
Another question on this topic we have is about the scenario analysis. In addition to the base case scenario in the financial story report, two several case scenarios are represented, a COVID-19 resurgence scenario and a financial stress scenario. Could you explain the thought process on how the Bank of Japan landed on these two alternative scenarios? And how likely does the Bank of Japan assume these scenarios to be? Sure. Our macro stress testing is one of our most important analytical tools when we assess the robustness of Japan's financial system. When we were designing the scenarios for the previous report, the October 2020 report, Japan and the world economy were facing the real economy shock stemming from the major restrictions on people's activities necessitated by COVID-19. And still, the spread of the virus and its impact both domestically and overseas was extremely uncertain. Hence, the BOJ developed the COVID downside scenarios. When we were designing the scenario for this April report, we were of the view that vulnerabilities were also accumulating in global markets. We saw a rapid increase in funds flowing into the stock market and emerging markets, accompanied by improved risk sentiment among investors, mainly on the back of expectations for the distribution of vaccines and reduced uncertainties over political developments. However, uncertainty concerning global financial markets remains high and asset prices could be adjusted depending, for example, on the speed of the distribution of vaccines and their effectiveness as well as developments in inflation expectations. This led us to add a financial stress scenario which assumes that an adjustment in financial markets comparable to that which occurred during the GFC negatively influences financial intermediation activities and so exerts downward pressure on domestic and overseas economies. Let me clarify that the assumed scenarios are purely hypothetical and they represent neither the bank's outlook nor the likelihood of the outcome. Thanks, Hitoshi-san. This is really helpful in understanding how the scenario is developed. It is clear that these analyses were for analytical purposes. Thank you very much. It would be good now to talk about the policy response to COVID-19. The Japanese government and Bank of Japan, in close cooperation with overseas authorities, swiftly implemented large-scale fiscal and monetary policy measures and, alongside the Japanese FSA, took flexible regulatory and supervisory actions to support economic activity and maintain the functioning of financial markets for example, by way of credit guarantees and effectively interest-free loans to corporates. Simulations and stress test results shown in the FSR show the significant positive effect that these measures are expected to have for some time to come on the Japanese economy in terms of reducing the probability of default of domestic firms, including SMEs. Hitoshi, can you say something about the credit risk outlook and how much it depends on the outlook of these types of accommodative measures? Is the bank concerned about cliff edge effects when they're ultimately removed? Very important question, I think. When we assessed domestic credit risk, we examined the impact of the COVID shock on both large corporates and SMEs. As the impact of the shock was greater for SMEs, while in general their financial resilience was weaker compared to large corporates, analysis was more focused on SMEs. In our analysis, we carefully quantified the impact of two key policy measures for SMEs, one, cash payments, and two, interest-free loans for which the government provides interest subsidies for the initial three years, as well as credit guarantee fees for the entirety of the loan period. 
both tools boost SME's liquidity, but each has a different impact on their solvency. Receiving cash payments improves SME's debt repayment capacity, but borrowing interest-free loans deteriorates their debt repayment capacity in the long run. Therefore, if SMEs rely excessively on the interest-free loans, we need to worry about future cliff effect. However, we assess that the total amount of cash payments for SMEs has reached a scale that will cover most of the losses incurred by SMEs. The remaining question is whether the tools are effective in offsetting not only at the macro level, but also at the micro level. As I mentioned, we call attention to the fact that the heterogeneity in SME's probability of default across industries and firms may become more pronounced going forward. We are very aware of the issue and will be scrutinizing all incoming data carefully. That's very interesting analysis and, and will be very important to monitor, as you say. On a different topic, but also related to the pandemic, the Bank of Japan reduced operational demands on financial institutions in 2020 in terms of on-site examinations. These are scheduled to resume in the 2021 fiscal year, although the FSR discusses that these will make greater use of remote methods, such as telephone conferencing. Can you tell us a bit about how the bank is considering its operational response as we move into a new phase of the COVID pandemic? Yes, sure. As you pointed out, the bank temporarily seized its on-site examinations in fiscal 2020. This was to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and to reduce financial institutions' operational burden. Instead, the bank arranged remote interviews. As financial institutions' operational challenge in supplying funds to the real economy has been gradually diminishing, the bank has resumed on-site examinations in fiscal 2021. That said, to prevent the spread of COVID-19, which is our top priority, the bank has not resumed face-to-face meetings and continues to lean on remote methods. We are ready to adjust the plan and or the timetable of the examinations whenever necessary. And going forward, the BOJ and the FSA have set up a joint group to coordinate inspections of financial institutions, share findings, and streamline data sharing. Next, we would like to ask about the foreign currency funding risks in the Japanese financial sector. The Financial System Report discusses how the expansion of Japanese banks' overseas business has increased their foreign currency needs. Can you describe the dynamics and how financial institutions have been responding? That's a very important point. In recent years, the foreign currency funding needs of Japanese banks have increased substantially as the overseas business has expanded. Therefore, they increased the share of foreign currency that came from stable funding sources. And this, together with the enhanced U.S. dollar liquidity swap line arranged by six central banks, helped to prevent major disruptions in their foreign currency funding during the March 2020 market turmoil. Now, Japanese banks have shifted their focus from securing the stability of their foreign currency funding to seeking out cost reductions as they strive for improved profitability in their overseas operations. Against this backdrop, we need to be vigilant on the efforts in striking a prudent balance between stability and cost reductions of foreign currency funding. Thank you very much. That clearly describes the long-term trend in this area. Moving on, I would like to ask you about a topic that's become an increased focus globally, 
NBFIs or the non-bank financial intermediaries. An interesting part of this financial system report is a deeper dive into the topic of NBFIs compared to the previous reports. Could you give us more color on your findings in this area? Given your analysis on these issues in the Japanese market, do you perhaps have any insights that are relevant for the global evaluations underway on this topic, including the analysis within the Financial Stability Board, International Organization of Securities Commissions? In March 2020, investment funds faced pressures from rapid outflows of funds, and many Japanese banks breached various risk management limits and made losses. These episodes have promoted awareness that even though the financial intermediation activities of non-bank financial intermediaries in Japan are limited, Japanese financial institutions may have become more exposed to the increased risk of poor investment funds through their growing interlinkages with the global financial system. Our analysis suggests that the increased interlinkages among financial systems has been structurally changing the global transmission channels of market shocks. As you said, the focal point of the international discussions have been to better understand the implication of these structural changes on the systemic risks of the global financial system. We hope we can contribute to promoting future international discussions in this field. That is a really encouraging message from the BOJ. Regarding the increased interconnectedness among financial institutions and NBFIs, and the need for further analysis on its implications for financial institutions' risk management and macroprudential perspectives, does the BOJ plan to conduct further analysis on this topic? Oh, this is a difficult one to answer. My colleagues who did the analysis on the interlinkage effect are currently working on an extended version of the analysis, which will be published. In addition, we are discussing the possibility of doing additional work in this area, but it's too early to say much more at the moment. Thanks, Hitoshi-san. We will be looking forward to BOJ's publication on this analysis in the future. Hitoshi, another topic mentioned within the FSR is that the Bank of Japan will contribute to discussions on international financial regulations, including those regarding the smooth implementation of the Basel III framework and its impact assessment. The timeline for implementing the 2017 Basel III package was obviously deferred by one year because of the impact of the pandemic. And there's been an interesting speech recently by the BCBS chairman Pablo Hernandez de Coz about the work the committee has started to evaluate the Basel framework following the COVID-19 global shock. What aspects of the Basel III framework do you think worked well during the pandemic? What areas require deeper empirical evaluation? Unlike in the global financial crisis, the global banking system has remained broadly resilient during the period of COVID-19. We think robust capital and liquidity levels have been the key, and we can tentatively conclude that the Basel framework has done its job well. In the context of evaluation, I can understand why much attention has been paid to specific reforms such as whether the flexibility embodied in the Basel framework has proved useful. But I think we also crucially need to look at the reform package as a whole. Individual components are meant to complement each other. The fact that we have both capital and liquidity regulations at the same time helps to reinforce the stability and resilience of the banking system. This is why full, timely, and consistent implementation of all aspects of the Basel III framework is paramount 
And it is encouraging that authorities around the world have repeatedly affirmed such expectations. We understand that the Basel Committee will continue its comprehensive evaluation with a plan to publish a full report in 2022. Thank you. And that's a very important point about looking holistically at the Basel standards and the reform package. So next, we would like to turn to discuss some of the structural changes in the business environment for financial institutions. One of the structural changes that's underway in Japan and almost all of the world at the moment is a digital transformation of the banking business model. This is mentioned in the FSR, as is the related topic of cyber risk and more broadly operational resilience or the ability of a financial institution to deliver critical operations through a disruption that makes it difficult to perform business operations, such as cyber incidents, to take one example. Hitoshi, can you say a few words about the current cyber risk landscape for Japanese financial institutions? Do you think the pandemic accelerated both positive and negative trends in relation to digitization? And how does the Bank of Japan account for this from a financial stability perspective? The spread of COVID-19 has accelerated the adoption of online financial services that were previously provided face-to-face and has made remote working arrangements far more widespread in the financial industry. The bank recently published a couple of papers that discuss the trends and implications of Japanese financial institutions' digital transformation, DX. When we think about DX, many of us may imagine what is happening in emerging countries where DX supported the establishment of banking services from scratch. But in Japan, banking services are already widely available to the public. Also, there is no clear answer for what kind of DX will be successful in the financial sector. The current main focus of digitalization in Japanese financial institutions is to improve the management efficiency. For example, rebuilding legacy systems, and restructuring branch and ATM networks. However, non-banks are some different. Some non-bank fintech companies, including major technology companies that collect data from both financial and non-financial services, are starting to analyze customers' behavior and make use of it to provide customized financial services. As DX in the banking sector progresses, competition between banks and non-banks may intensify. While competition could bring benefits to customers in the form of greater convenience and lower costs for banks, it could lead to a decline in commission income and other revenues. And if the competition became so intense that bank profits declined, then banks could be tempted into excessive risk-taking, destabilizing financial system. Therefore, we are of the view that it is important to ensure a level playing field between banks and non-banks in terms of regulations to provide a fair competitive environment. The importance of cybersecurity and information management is also rising. I found one observation of the bank's recent survey particularly telling. 40% of financial institutions allow the use of private devices for employees working remotely. In such circumstances, secure communication of the virtual desktop infrastructure is vital, for example. On the use of cloud services, the bank's paper, Key Considerations for Risk Management in Using Cloud Services, encourages financial institutions to respond to environmental changes on a risk basis, 
specifically based on the criticality of the operations and systems, rather than adopting a uniform approach. Our position is that risk management is not an overly burdensome task. Once financial institutions understand the basics, primarily the need to clarify in advance the scopes of responsibility of the financial institution and the cloud service provider. Against this background, the bank has highlighted three issues when it examines the cybersecurity management frameworks of financial institutions. First, how appropriately is information about ever-changing threats collected and shared? Second, how appropriately are the access rights to important data managed? And third, how effective are the frameworks and contingency plans to maintain operational resilience in the event of cyber incidents? Thank you, Hitoshi, for that detailed response and obviously keeping pace with cybersecurity and ensuring greater consistency in cyber incident reporting are certainly top priorities globally at present for the public and private sectors. And turning to another important issue, the report has an interesting discussion of climate-related financial risks, including global policy developments and trends in Japan. There's also some very interesting analysis conducted by the BOJ on the impact of floods on firms' financial conditions. Can you tell us a bit about that analysis and any takeaways for the Bank of Japan as well as for financial institutions? Thank you for flagging this, Katie. Uh, the analysis is the bank's first ever attempt to examine the impact of physical risk from climate change by matching the municipality-level data on flood damage in Japan with firm-level financial data. We examine how financial conditions were affected by whether the firm was located in a municipality affected by flooding. One of the main findings is that a flood event has a significant negative impact on the profit-to-sale ratio of for all firms, although the magnitude of the impact varies by industry. We found a relatively greater impact on the manufacturing sector, which suggests that the production facilities, in other words, tangible fixed assets, may play an essential role as a source of the impact on firms' financial conditions by giving rise to impairment losses and recovery expenses. The implication of these results for financial institutions is that they need to work on enhancing their framework to manage physical risks, including taking due consideration of the characteristics of borrowing firms. As for the bank, this attempt helped us to identify the limits of our knowledge on the economic impact of climate change and the metrics to quantify the climate-related financial risks. In fact, we are quite new in this area but we are reinforcing efforts to extend our knowledge further in close cooperation with other financial authorities, international standard setting bodies, and financial institutions. That's very interesting and, and very important analysis for all central banks really to be conducting. And great to hear that the Bank of Japan is cooperating closely with other authorities. Switching gears a bit, I would like to ask a final question for today. It's about LIBOR. At the end of 2021, Yen LIBOR is expected to cease. Given the BOJ's experience in ongoing dialogue with banks in Japan, could you give us your assessment on the preparedness of the banks for the benchmark rate transition? How have the banks' preparedness evolved between the two joint surveys on the use of LIBOR conducted by the BOJ and JFSA? Thank you for asking this, Takasan. 
It's now little more than six months until the publication of Yen Libel will cease at the end of 2021. The Cross-Industry Committee on Japanese Yen Interest Rate Benchmarks has been active in preparing the roadmap for the LIBOR transition and in constructing the alternative benchmarks to Yen LIBOR. Through close dialogue with financial institutions, the BOJ and the FSA have encouraged their preparation for the transition. As you mentioned, the BOJ and the FSA jointly published the key results of the second survey on the use of LIBOR. Amounts outstanding of contracts referencing Yen LIBOR as at end 2020 are 33 trillion yen of assets. The survey finds that 96% of 128 financial institutions which own derivatives in compliance with the Eastern Master Agreement have already adhered or have planned to adhere to the Easter IBO fallbacks protocol, suggesting good progress with regards to the transactions among financial firms. However, for assets, e.g. loans, referencing yen libel, only 18% of them have fallback provisions. In addition, most of such contracts neither specify a single replacement rate nor a rate to be determined by waterfall methodology when introducing a fallback provision, suggesting that the substantial reduction of LIBOR exposure has a way to go yet. However, at the time of the survey, the production rates of Tokyo term risk-free rate TORF, or TOFU, which had gathered the greatest support from client companies among several candidates for alternative benchmark rates, had not been published. In particular, the transition of lending rates largely awaited the announcement of the production rates of TOFU. While individual financial institutions were making efforts by, for example, providing information to their customers, most financial institutions were planning to accelerate concrete contract negotiations from the summer after the announcement of TOFU. But now, the environment for the benchmark transition is fully in place as the production rates of TOFU have been published since April 26th. We are now entering a phase of accelerated response in the final stages, and financial institutions are required to take proactive measures based on the roadmap to meet the deadline. Thanks very much, Hitoshi. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you very much again, Hitoshi-san, for sharing those insights. On behalf of Katie and myself, we have really enjoyed the conversation and look forward to future financial system report for the Bank of Japan. Thank you, guys. I enjoyed the discussion very much. We thank everyone for listening to this podcast and hope you all stay safe and healthy. Please consider subscribing to the IIF Global Regulatory Update wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.